everybody and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell and today I am joined by our Bundesliga expert and player evaluation knowledge haver. That's your new title I'm giving you. It's Manuel Fates of Transfermarkt. Manuel, good to have you back on the show. Well, thanks for having me once again, Tyler. Uh, my pleasure, my pleasure. And I am looking forward to talking to you a bit about player evaluations. That's something you all do. I know you just released the Bundesliga ones, or at least fairly recently did. So I want to get into how you all calculate that, how you arrive at those numbers, what happens when those numbers are different from transfers when they actually go through. But first, we should do some Bundesliga conversation because it's back. Uh, yeah. League kicks off this weekend, starting with Bayern Munich v Schalke on Friday. From a general standpoint, which teams are you most looking forward to watching this weekend for whichever reasons? It, obviously Bayern. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm I'm German and Canadian and my boy Fonzie has been, um, we're probably going to talk about him a little bit later because he's he's broken several uh, market value records um, this week in our re-evaluation of his uh, market value. But I'm really looking forward to watch him. I'm really looking forward to seeing the new clubs as well, you know, likes of Bielefeld, for example, or what they're doing in the league. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Borussia Dortmund. You know, the, the fact that they were able to hang on to Jaden Sancho this window, I think, is, is quite a statement of intent. And uh, I'm really excited to maybe see them actually put a challenge together. Yeah, so, okay, let's... I was I initially yeah. was thinking we would go straight to Bayern Munich, but since you brought him up, let's stick with Dortmund and let's stick with Jaden Sancho, <laughs> a player who I think... <laughs> At, at least everyone in the English media fully expected to be playing for Manchester United this season. That has obviously not been the case. In your mind, is mm. that because Dortmund have just refused to sell and want to hold on to him? Or has it been that Manchester United have not met their valuation? And so there's been an impasse. And now that impasse has turned into he will be there this season. Well, they, there was a deadline set by Borussia Dortmund. That was August 10th. They said uh, Manchester any club that wants Jadon Sancho because... They were other clubs interested, right? But any club that wanted Jaden Sancho had to meet that deadline August 10th and had to pay 130 million euros. And no one, no one came up. And um, we all now know that Jaden Sancho actually already had renewed his contract before before going into this window. He's now under contract until 2023. So there's no pressure for Dortmund at the moment to do anything. Mm-hmm. And then they said on August 10th, well, we're going to go with him into the new season. And um, today there was, I mean, there's reports every day in England that I have started to completely ignore because they say all sorts of things that are just not true. They're just simply not true. Um, Today, the Ruhrnachrichten, a very well-informed newspaper based in that area of Germany, has said that Jaden Sancho is very happy in Dortmund and that he's looking forward to play the season there. And it, it, that's really what it came down to. So nobody met the deadline, August 10th deadline, and no one was willing to pay that amount of money. And a lot of things that you now hear is just talk. <laughs> I put well, it down to just talk. Yeah, well, let me ask you that then. I don't know if you can like give me a a definitive answer on this one. But generally speaking, I feel like whenever you see several different outlets reporting a roughly similar story, it's coming from somewhere. I feel like very rarely do you get a just completely made up thing that really picks up that much traction. So then I guess I'm wondering from the English side where you do still get those, oh no, it might be happening. It could be happening. There's still talks ongoing. Do you feel like that is maybe Manchester United are are leaking that or trying to spread that message? Or do you think this is sort of a story that's being fabricated entirely? 
I don't think anything is ever fabricated. Mm-hmm. I do think that certain people are keeping the story alive to maybe, um, you know, clicks, mm-hmm. popularity, etc. Um, I, I do maybe mention the United feel that they can still bully Dortmund into some sort of deal. I, that is entirely possible. I am not in any sense connected to Manchester United. I don't have sources with that club. I'm going to be very honest about that. So maybe they still have the feeling that they can do this. Um, I hear from Dortmund, this is, and I hear this directly from Dortmund, that that deadline was August 10th and the evaluation was 130 million euros and no one met it. And we're going to go into the new season. And, you know, I would never say never in this, in the sport, you know, things can change at the last minute. But you really get the sense that for them, this is this is over. And you really get the sense from Jaden Sancho, too, that he's not unhappy with this decision. Mm-hmm. Quite the contrary. I mean, we saw him play in, in the cup on the weekend and um, he, he had an excellent game and really enjoyed his time out there with Jude Bellingham and um, set up Marco Reus for a wonderful goal. Uh, had a, you know all around fantastic performance and you do not get the impression that he is unhappy. Um, I think he's quite happy where he's at right now. So then do you get the impression that Dortmund, like to some extent, have learned from past mistakes or past inabilities to get things done? Like I think of maybe this is an unfair comparison, but I think of Robert Lewandowski allowing and basically his contract running down mm-hmm. him moving to Bayern on a free because he doesn't want to sign. They don't want to sell him. Here we are. This feels like sort of Dortmund getting everything right of making sure Sancho signs the extension. So now they, there's no pressure. They're not worried about losing him at a discounted rate. It does seem to me like this is another example of Borussia Dortmund sort of being a very well-run club, at least from a player acquisition and retention standpoint. Yeah. And that, and I think that although they have lost money, uh, they have lost income from the COVID-19 crisis. I think that also that like all the bigger Bundesliga sites, they have a lot of money put aside so they're not under financial pressure to sell, right? Um, I think that that comes from years of really being very, you know, building this club up by making smart transfers, making smart decisions. And I think also that when you, and this is what I heard when from being in Dortmund many times, Jaden Sancho is not necessarily sold on going back to England. There's been many times where he said, well, there's a place a spot at Barcelona becoming available very soon where I would slot in and be the main man in that side, right? Because we all know Messi isn't getting younger. And at some point that team will have to find a Messi replacement. And maybe that's where he wants to go, right? He's always said internally, Spain could be an interesting place. Not saying that that's what's going to happen, but he knows that he has many options. So it's not like that Manchester United is the end all and be all for him. Um, he's already playing at a great club. He's playing in the Champions League. He's playing now in a country where also the crisis of COVID-19 has handled, been handled much better. He's in a much better, more secure space as well right now in Germany over England. And he's actually going to be playing in front of fans this year as well in the Bundesliga, right? I mean, because the country has handled this situation so much better than England. I think he's there's, there's so many different factors to come into play. And then finally, Dortmund just don't want to lose him this year. And the market is going to be, yeah, the market is going to be there next year as well. Exactly, exactly. So they've kept 
Uh, they've kept Jaden Sancho. We expect them to keep him for the for the rest of the season at the very least. They've also uh, brought in some players, uh, both on freeze, on loans, on transfers. Which of their signings have you enjoyed the most? They've got Jude Bellingham. You mentioned him earlier. They made Emery Jean Permanent. Yeah. I believe Thomas Mounier was on a free. Rainier Jesus brought over from or Jesus brought over from Real Madrid on loan. Some good moves. It could also be a departure, but I'm wondering what move you've enjoyed the most from them. I think Bellingham is going to be a very exciting player. Um, it's, it's incredible how they are able to find these 17-year-olds and put them straight into the squad and just make them work. It's It, it always kind of boggles my mind. It's a very young side, but it's it's incredible how they still manage to play as so much beyond the years. Um, and so I'm very excited to see him play. I think he's going to add um, an interesting element to this team. Um, Meunier, I mean, he's not Hakimi, but I think he'll give them a bit more stability in in defense over over Hakimi because Hakimi was a very attacking player as as a as a wing back, right? Um, and then of yeah. course, you know, we don't even want to talk about all the new signings. We're also going to start uh, have to look at Gio Reyna. That's yeah. going to be his first full season um, with the with the senior side and. They, he's going to feature quite prominently for them. They, he's going to get a lot of minutes because Marco Reus will have to get his minutes, minutes managed, right? We all know with his injur- injury history. So I think we're going to see quite a lot of him and he's going to feature a lot. And that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially in this group um, of players. And then um, come November, um, one of the biggest talents in world football right now, Yusufo Mokuku, is going to be allowed to play for the first team because he's turning um, six and uh, that's the cutoff age for Bundesliga players to make the senior debut. Just to and, clarify, I think, uh, you cut out yeah. there, I think you cut out there at six. Uh, so I just want to clarify that I'm, sh- I'm assuming that finished 16, right? He's not six years old playing for Dortmund. No, 16. There we yeah. go. Okay, cool, cool. He's 16. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know anything about him. Can you tell me some more? Well, he's just... Uh, he's he's a young striker. Um, he's been tearing apart the the youth the youth sides, um, you know, in German football. As I said, he's only 15 at the moment. Um, he's turning 16 in in November, where at which point he will be eligible to play in the Bundesliga. Just to give you some numbers, um, in the U17 Bundesliga, he scored 83 goals in uh, 50 games. Last year in the uh, U19 Bundesliga, remember, he's playing there as a 15-year-old. He scored 34 goals in 20 games. And he's already featured for Germany's youth sides. And, um, you know, he's playing in the U20 right now, even though he's only 15. So he's he's far ahead of his development. And we expect some very great things for him uh, from him in the next few years. And he's, yeah, he's going to feature in the side as well. He's going to be another teenager, you know, to to really add an extra element to this Borussia Dortmund side. And to say it one more time, if people missed it, that's 15-year-old Yusufa Mukoku, uh, Mukoko, I guess. Uh, he Mukoku, will be he will be there in November, yeah. as you said. Uh, Gio Reyna there from the start of the season. Where do you think Reyna is most likely to play, like formation-wise? Where do we, you think we'll see him operating within the team? Is it going to be more central? Is it going to be more out on the wings? Yeah, actually, I actually think he's going to play more central. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where he played against Duisburg in the in the cup. He played in a in a very central role, right behind uh, Sancho and Haaland. Um, you know, they actually played with uh, with two strikers playing Sancho as a striker, uh, and Reiner played right behind them. And I, I think that's his best role. He he's going to develop into a, a number ten, 
And that's sort of where Marco Royce has been playing quite a lot. But um, I, I saw the number somewhere today. If you reach the final stages of every competition, I think you're playing about 57 games in 250 days next season. So there's going to be a lot of rotation yeah. for the top sides. So I think, you know, he's going to be in and out. Marco Royce, as wonderful of a player he is, his body just won't be able to handle that kind of workload, right? So there will be a lot of minutes for Reina playing in that Marco Royce role. One more like departures question from for maybe a, like this time next year or maybe even later. Who do you think leaves Borussia Dortmund first? Uh, would it be Jaden Sancho? Would it be Gio Reyna? Or do you think it's Erling Haaland? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I, I think we can all expect Jaden Sancho to probably be off okay. next summer. Um, it it be not un Borussia Dortmund like if they would also lose Erling Haaland that summer as well. Um, it's very hard because he has an exit clause, right? And it's not really in their control. Um, he can leave the club for 60 million euros. Uh, with Rev Reina, I think they time for him at, mm-hmm. at Borussia Dortmund. He's only 17 and um, he will need the time to develop and can grow with the club. And I mean, we have to also keep in mind with what's going on with COVID-19 and how that's going to develop, right? And how how the, the the market is going to change. I think there's going to be a few dominoes that are going to have to fall first before, you know, some movement to come in there. Um, I think the big one that we are all going to have to look out for next summer is what's Lionel Messi going to do? Because I think that's going to affect a whole bunch of clubs all around Europe and probably also Borussia Dortmund because they usually get tapped up whenever one of the big clubs lose a player um, because they're just on that fringe of being one of the biggest big clubs. They, the players there are already of that elite caliber, right? So it's very easy to just pluck someone there and put them into a new environment and it usually works. So um, unfortunately for them, I think whatever Lionel Messi is going to do next year is going to impact them as well. And is there any sort of like anti-Bayern Munich clause in that release, uh, in that release agreement with the Haaland? Because I feel like as Lewandowski mm. gets a little bit older, obviously he will still be a very good performer for them. Obviously he can still score many goals. But that does seem like a sneaky Bayern move to come in and hit that release clause and bring Holland over to Bayern Munich for only sixty million. Only sixty million is a silly thing to say, but given the current market, given the valuation of Jaden Sancho, that is quite a deal. Yeah, I, he's, I, I can't see it. I think Erling Haaland is going to Madrid. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's. I can see that. <laughs> I, I think that's his projection. You know, there's all these dreamers and thinking he's going to maybe go to Liverpool or Manchester United or something like that. But he is so driven and uh, you, you look at his family and the, the, the people that are around him and he has Real Madrid written all over him. That's, yes. you know, this is not inside knowledge or anything. It's just a gut feeling. No, I think, uh, I, I think that I, makes a lot of sense to me as well. Uh, he, Yeah, and then you get the Norwegian connection, right? If uh, Odegaard stays there yeah. and Holland comes in, I'm sure that's what they're looking for. That will be the ultimate team right there with two Norwegians in it. Uh, you mentioned Dortmund, maybe the team most likely to challenge Bayern Munich, at least I believe you said that. Is that the case that you think mm. they will be sort of like like neck and neck with Bayern Munich this season? Or do you think of the teams that could potentially catch Bayern Munich, they are in the best position, but not necessarily likely to do it? It's so difficult to say because obviously we've all seen what Bayern have done in the Champions League. The All the records that they have broken in that competition, they're the first club to win every single game, right? Um, they have based put a two-legged score in a one-legged affair against Barcelona by beating them 8-2. 
this is a very good team. <laughs> it's a very, very good team. Um, probably right now in their current form, the best football club in the world. So it's going to be very hard to catch them. Um, I think there's a couple factors here where I think, okay, well, maybe other teams might have a chance because they essentially played a tournament in August um, with the Champions League tournament, right? And we all know what it, what it is like for uh, national team players when they come back from an international tournament and they didn't have very much time to recuperate and then they have to go into... A league schedule and this year the league schedule is much more condensed than in previous years right and Bayern Munich and we have I have those numbers uh, in front of me they um, have per player the most valuable per, per average market value that the most but they don't have the most expensive squad in the world because the squad is very small mm-hmm. um, in German football most teams operate with very small squads and that is something that might hurt them um, during this run. And then, of course, they lost Thiago. Um, this is the big news today, as we record on Thursday, right? They lost Thiago to Liverpool. And although Thiago was getting older, and I think they were already starting to plan without him anyways, to a certain extent, he was a dominant force in the Champions League. And he's a very big, important player for them in terms of how they control the midfield in certain matches. Not in every game, because they rotate, of course, but in certain games. And... That's going to be interesting to see how they're going to replace this this player the day before the league actually starts, right? Um, so there's a bunch of things. So that makes me think, well, we're still in a COVID world. Bayern are extremely good. If everything goes normal, uh, if they play like they did in the Champions League, they, they might win every single game this year. But, but soon fall into a hole, right? That happens to them about every single season. I mean, we were in Germany together when they were I, in the biggest hole. Yeah, it, um, and it, it could possibly happen there too. The, the, the point I'm trying to make is if, if, if and when that happens, teams like Borussia Dortmund cannot afford to also fall into a hole. Because right. we have to also remember that when Bayern at the winter break last year, they were four points behind Leipzig. And then Leipzig crashed out, Right. They were behind Dortmund, but then Dortmund just couldn't get their foot, their feet together. The season before, Dortmund were nine points ahead of Bayern, and they couldn't get it done. So teams have to... Bayern have been very good, but their other teams also have let them. And I think that is something that the likes of Dortmund, maybe they have finally learned it. They they just have... When Bayern fall in that hole, and I'm 100% sure it will happen, because there's it's a lot of games played in consecutive fashion... That, uh, teams like Dortmund have to be there and uh, make the most out of it. A whole bunch more still to come from my conversation with Manuel Feitz of Transfermarkt. But first, here's one half of Allocation Disorder, Mr. Sam Stasekel. Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Stasekel from The Athletic. I don't know about you, but I never, ever forget my morning cup of coffee. I need that to get going to start each and every day. It's great. Gets me kick-started. Gets my day off on the right foot. Unfortunately, I often forget to follow up that morning coffee with a nice glass of water. And I often find myself feeling a little bit dehydrated throughout the day and playing a little bit of a game of catch up when it comes to hydration. I'm not alone there. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. That's changing for me because I've started using Liquid IV. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water on your own. It's a little 16th ounce packet. Tastes great. Different flavors. You just pour it into a glass of water. Boom. Gets you hydrated real quick. 
I've enjoyed it. I've been using it for a while now. It definitely helps if I've had a few drinks the night before. Have one of those before I go to sleep. Wake up feeling fresh as a daisy, ready to go the next morning. I'm enjoying Liquid IV. I think you'll enjoy it too. It's available nationwide at Costco and Target. You can actually get 25% off if you buy online when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com. Promo code ATHLETIC. So with Tiago departing, uh, not to say that he was like the, the key figure for that team, but obviously they will need some depth in that position. They will need to replace him, at least have more options there. Who do you think is most likely to play in the sort of Tiago role or kind of occupy that more central position? Yeah, Joshua Kimmich. Okay. Um, that's, that's the internal. Internal makes the most sense. He is... He had to play right back in the Champions League tournament because Pavard was injured. And um, I, I, I know that they're looking at another right back, um, Sekino yeah. Dest from Ajax, right? And That's, that's kind of where that's I was leading with this conversation. I assumed yeah. it was going to be Kimmich, which did then want, make me then want to ask, is they, that why we're seeing the Dest with, rumors pick up? They, yeah, yeah, they're quite far with Dest. And I know there have been rumors about Barcelona and all that, but um, I, I Barcelona have no money. I mean, they couldn't buy Depay for 30 million euros. They're not going to be able to buy Dest. It's mm-hmm. just... Not happening. I mean, they have to pay uh, Messi a quadrillion million euros every year, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the actual number, I assume. Yeah. The actual number. Um, but yeah, I, Dest is, is very far uh, progressed. And I, I think they're really working hard on that deal. And that would allow, because then they have Pavard and uh, Dest on the right, and that would allow Kimmich to move permanently into midfield. And I think that's the best position for him. The the way he controls that midfield area, he he's a very dominant player there, and um, we've seen that in in the Champions League tournament that then Goretzka would play um, the other role, more of the box to box midfielder role, right? And I think that's sort of what they're aiming to do. I do think that they're going to bring in another midfielder. Um, I think they will have to because that that squad is is not big enough. I mean, they have twenty five players right, uh, twenty four players right now. Sorry. And that's just not big enough for the amount of games that they are facing this season. So I think they will have to bring in another player on top of Dest. Um, but I think that's sort of what they're thinking of internally. This is how they're going to, to play it out. Kimmich is going to move into that role. Then they're going to bring in Dest. And I have Dest Pavard on the right. Um, they're very well positioned on the left. So uh, I think that's that's sort of Bayern Munich's plan. And then they've obviously brought in Leroy Sana as well. Not a Tiago replacement, but a, a pretty good goal scorer and chance creator. Do you think, is he an automatic starter? Is it going to be him and Serge Gnabry? Or do you think there'll be a little bit of rotation? Well, Gnabry can play most of the plays on the right, right? So Sané, you will see um, predominantly on the left. He will have to work very hard to get uh, past Kingsley Coman. Um, if <laughs> I say that, but Coman is once again injured, so Sané is probably going to start on uh, Friday against Schalke. But um, Coman, I mean, Coman is now a hero at Bayern, right? Because if you score, score a Champions League winner, that yeah. puts you in a little bit. That puts you into a very good position. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sané, I, I think he, I, I think, and this is a really scary thought: Leroy Sané and Alfonso Davies together on the left. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's an autobahn, right? <laughs> that should be illegal. Uh, I wrote in a piece yesterday that uh, Alfonso Davies, his speed is faster than uh, if he if he would run his current speed, he would get uh, a ticket, a speed and ticket for in a school zone <laughs> in Canada. That's how fast he is right now. 
but it, yeah it's that's a scary scary thing to see those two play together on on the left wing and um i i think yeah bayern are, are going to be very well positioned in that department it is a scary thing, and I, I'm assuming that if you are their first opponent, Shaka, you are aware of how scary it's going to be. Our conversations yeah. about Shaka tend to get kind of immediately depressing <laughs> lately, but let's go for it anyway. Uh, Weston McKinney has finally gone. Uh, given your their financial situation, this is something that Daryl, I think, has tried to explain to me like three different times, and I'm still confused. I was under the impression that they needed the money, so they were only going to entertain offers that were pretty high valuations for Weston McKinney. They knew they had an asset. They knew they could get money. Instead, he's on loan at Juve. They're not quite getting money immediately. They're getting some money. But I'm sort of surprised that this was the deal they went with. Were you surprised or did it make more sense to you? I'm baffled. Okay. All right. That makes me feel better. That genuinely makes me feel better. (laughs) I was absolutely baffled and we all were in the office. Um, I I remember getting one message from a colleague in Germany. He's like, what are Schalke doing? Because I... I still try to figure it out. Um, my educated guess is that, I, I mean, they know that they're going to get that money, right? Because it's a, it's a loan to buy deal and um, Juventus have to trigger that clause. I mean, it's it's a done thing. They know that they're going to get that money. So maybe they went to the, to the bank and mortgaged that. Um, that's the only thing that would make sense to me because they also didn't entertain offers for any of the other price assets they had, like Suat Serat and uh, Serda and uh, Amina Harit, right? Mm-hmm. They basically, after McKenney was sold, they said, okay, that's it. We're, we're good now. So that's the only thing I can see, that they've already kind of mortgaged that deal, knowing that that money is coming in, some kind of weird financial construct that works for both clubs. Because Juventus, the, the reason why Italian clubs do this is because they don't have the money right now or they don't. They try to balance their budgets. Uh, for for I think they have some sort of internal financial fair play system in Serie A that complicated and only Italian bureaucracy understands. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's sort of where this all comes in. That's the only way this makes sense because you you're quite right. They needed that money now. It was not like we need this money next year. We like we we need this money now. We're like we, we face bankruptcy if we hadn't had games. Right, mm-hmm. kind of deal. So um, yeah, I was I was baffled. I was I I didn't understand it. I I think it's it's great for McKenny. Um, if you get a move to Juventus, even though it's very risky because I'm not sure how much he's gonna play there and how he's gonna feature and how how well Andrea Pirlo is gonna work out as a manager. There's a lot of risks there. But if you have the chance to go to a club like that, you need to take it, hundred percent. You need to go. Right? So- so I agree with that. McKenny now at Juve, uh, Alexandre Nubel now at Bayern Munich. Uh, that was something we knew was going to happen. Caligiuri has also left. They've brought in a couple players uh, in the offseason. They've also brought through a few academy players, including Nick Tatagui. Uh, obviously, we are an American podcast, so we always have our, our ears up, our eyes open for Americans. Do you think he will get minutes this season? Do you think he plays a role or do you think he sort of brought in to bolster the squad and give them some depth if they need it? Oh man, Schalke is such an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it's, less of an optimistic answer than I was hoping for, but I'll take it. Um, it's it's such a complicated one, right? Um, I I I think that they need every player that they can get right now and have them have them play. Uh, they made some really interesting moves, including Vida Ibisevic, right, who came in on almost virtually free. He's playing for 120,000 euros a year. 
Um, that's right, 120,000 euros per year. Um, and then they brought in Gonzalo Pacienza as well as another striker. But you're quite right. Um, how do you say that again? Nick Tataike? Uh, Tataque, I think it is. It's T-A-T-A-G-U-E. But I think we've been we've been slowly coached over the years to pronounce it properly. Yeah, it's um, you know, to, to quite honest, I th- I think there's always a chance right now mm-hmm. to to get minutes for Schalke because who knows what they're gonna do, mm-hmm. um, what they're going to put together. The 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 it's yeah, it's a, it's a complicated one too because we haven't seen them play yet because they didn't play in the German Cup, right? Because the the opponent that they were facing. Um, had to withdraw at the last minute because of a legal battle that have, is going on down in Bavaria. And so they haven't had any, they didn't have a competi- competitive fixture yet. So it's really hard to see what David Wagner is going to do mm-hmm. with the side. And <laughs> I mean, it's not an easy start. <laughs> You're basically facing Bayern Munich um, and you have no idea with what. Um, it's It's going to be interesting. With uh, Ibisevic's salary for a moment, did I think I, I feel like I read that he was donating at least some of it, if not all of it. Is that the case, or is he? Am I am I misinformed in my research? Yeah, no, that, that's that's sort of what I read too. It's it's he's basically playing for free um, all right. to help out. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I get the sense that this this is probably his last year. He might play another year in in the states. Um, I know that he could get involved at the St. Louis franchise that is currently, you know, being put together by our friends uh, Lutz Pfannenstiel, mm-hmm. um, because the St. Louis is his home, right? That's, I mean, he's a Bosnian national. He plays for, for Bosnia or did play for Bosnia Herzegovina, but um, he is he, his home is St. Louis. He's often spoken about that, and I can see him have a role um, with the new St. Louis team. So I get the sense that what he's doing right now is really just bridging that time um, to whatever is next over in the United States. All right. That, that, that makes sense. And I'm excited for that. I like the, the partnership there in St. Louis. So we've talked Dortmund, Bayern, Schalke. Let's go back to Leipzig, another team that I was, I was hoping to discuss. Uh, which departure do you think will end up hurting more? Do you think it's Timo Werner leaving Leipzig or do you think it's Kai Havertz leaving Leverkusen? So I guess we could go either way. We could go uh, Leipzig or Leverkusen with this conversation. Um, definitely Kai Havertz okay. for Leverkusen, 100%. Because Leipzig, I mean, we're talking about a Champions League semifinalist here, right? Um, and they, they got there without um, Timo Werner uh, because he, he opted to not participate in a tournament. Could you imagine what they maybe could have done with him in that lineup against PSG? We might have a very different conversation now. But look, Leipzig, I feel like with the entire setup that they have, uh, not just them as a club, of the, the satellite in Salzburg, the satellite in New York, the satellite in Brazil... They are very well equipped to compensate for departures of single players. I mean, Naby Keita is an example. We all thought they're going to just completely collapse, and they didn't mm. when when he left, right? Quite the contrary. They, they actually probably compensated way better than anyone expected. And I think they're going to do this. They're going to probably, Julian Nagelsmann is probably just going to change the way they play a little bit. Um, and then in Hechan Wong, they brought in an excellent player from, from Salzburg. Um, Alexander Solot yeah. is done. Yeah, it is done. Alexander okay. Solot is done. Yeah, it's done. Um, you know, it's literally just the ink on the paper that's missing. 
Um, I spoke to some sources in Norway yesterday, um, and and they, they they told me yeah he's already on his way. They they found some weird way to appease all the other parties involved. I, you know it was very difficult with Trabzonspor having a clause to make the deal permanent next year for six million euros. And Crystal Palace technically he still it was it was it was a mess apparently behind closed doors. So uh, one day we'll probably find out how they figured that all out. But um, he's he's joining. Um, and with that, I think they, we saw it in the recent Norway game, I think so a lot on Haaland absolutely took apart uh, poor Ireland, right? They were playing not on Ireland and uh, they're getting a very good player in that. And I think they, they're going to be just fine. But to replace someone like Harvards, who can do so many things, can play in midfield, can play attacking midfield, can play as a striker, brings a ton of assists to the table, brings um, goals to the table. It's going to be very hard on its own, but Leverkusen also lost Kevin Folland. Yeah. Right? And um, I you know this is another one. Um, I have some really good contacts to Leverkusen. Um, I, I messaged them. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, what's I'm going sure, on? I'm here? sure they I'm, love that. <laughs> I asked this like straight up because I didn't understand, right? And um, I, I hope they do because <laughs> if they don't and they're in trouble. But um, yeah, I, they, it's, it's also, it feels like they're completely taking this team apart that they had and reconstructing it. And they're doing it, I mean, they, can, they still have time till October 5th to do it, right? But Friday. And I don't see them being finished as a product. I know that there's some really exciting players now on this team. Patrick Schick, is, I think, is a great signing. We've seen what he's done at Leipzig. I think he's a fantastic signing. I think that in Florian Wirtz, um, he that's one of the biggest talents in German football. Um, we already you know, we talked about Mokuku. Florian Wirtz is another one. Um, he's going to feature a lot in the side, but losing Folland, losing Harvards, and then potentially also losing uh, Lucas Alario, that's a lot of goals to replace and it's not just the goals that you need to replace you also need to replace the assists the second assists the, the, the midfield consistency and all that kind of stuff so it seems like a very risky in my opinion whenever you have a player playing for one team on loan but then signing for another team in their league i get confused and that is the case with Patrick Schick mm-hmm. he ends up at Leverkusen but playing for Leipzig last season why isn't he with Leipzig still? Why wasn't that move made permanent? Is it something that he didn't want to have happen, or was it something that they just weren't willing to splash the cash for? Yeah, Roma wanted a lot of money. They wanted um, around 27 to 29 million euros for him, and um, Leipzig just didn't want to pay that kind of money and for Schick, which is confusing because they paid almost that amount of money now for Solot if like the math is right it's the difference is about nine million euros so maybe what i think is they identified Sirlot. they realized with Sirlot they can replace both Schick and Werner because he's a different a bit of a different player right and they said okay well we'll get go for him and do not buy Schick because he's a bit more one-dimensional and Leverkusen said we need exactly someone like Schick because he's tall he can uh, replace that aerial uh, presence that Harvards has um, he can re- replace a lot of the goals that we lost with Folland. So I think that's sort of what happened here. It's kind of like 
one of those trade scenarios in, in North American sports, right, where you trade one player for another and you almost wonder, well, why do they do that if those two players are good? But because sometimes a good player is a better fit in a different system. And I think for Leipzig, they just said he's not worth 29 million euros for us. And it was not that they did not necessarily have the money, but they thought that Serlot would be a better fit for them with the money that they were going to spend for Schick, if that makes sense. And Leverkusen said, okay, well, this is exactly the player that we need to replace some of the things that we're losing because of the of Harvards, right? And yeah. I think it's actually more, more Harvards than Folland because Folland is, it, it doesn't really have quite that presence uh, in the box. And Harvards had that presence in the box. We always think of him as a playmaker, and he is. But um, like Michael Balak back in the day, he is very, very good in the air, in the box. And I think that's sort of what, what, what the mindset was there uh, by signing Patrick Schick. So Leverkusen then not in a like necessarily weak position, but certainly not as strong as they were last season. It sounds like Schalke will kind of be where they were last year, which means maybe we do have an opening for that that fourth Champions League spot. Uh, it seems like the logical contenders for that would be Gladbach and Hertha Berlin. If yeah. you had to predict right now, which team is maybe getting that fourth f- four spot? Because we would assume Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Leipzig all going to be still strong as they were last year. Maybe a little bit more question mark about that fourth position. Oh, 100% Gladbach. Okay. 100%. Um, Hertha, <laughs> did you see the goal impact tweet yesterday? No. Um, it's, a, it's a great side. It's a little bit like 538, um, plucking a couple outlets here, but uh, they, they predict um, the league table based on past results, right? Uh, and on the 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 impact of all players and the squad goals, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Actually, have uh, Hertha on a relegation spot, really um, for the season, and Hertha have a lot of money and they have invested a lot of money. And I think actually Bruno Labbadia, they have a very good head coach, but they scream surprise package. I could see them finish in the top six, but I could also see them fight relegation. Um, and I can't see that with Gladbach. Gladbach are very good. <laughs> They're a very good team. They potentially have the best head coach in the league. And Marco Rose, I, I really like Marco Rose. I think he's he's a great coach. And I think that by them not losing any players, um, they basically managed to keep the entire squad together. They added uh, Valentino Lazzao, right, from Inter. They added Hannes Wolf from Leipzig. And uh, this is a player who um, Rose worked together in Salzburg. Very, very good player. We missed most of last year with an injury. Um, so they were actually add, able to add pieces to the squad, to a team that's already very good. And um, yeah, I think I, I personally, I personally think that Gladbach have that spot nailed down. Um, a little bit of an American thing too, Joe Scali, yeah. from New York City FC, right? Um, one of one of their biggest signings in in terms of, I mean, they haven't done much because of COVID, but um, yeah, I, I mean. A right back, and hopefully we get to see him a little bit as well. That'd be that'd be very nice. Would add a nice little storyline to the Gladbach thing. Yeah, for people who uh, aren't aware or, or miss that one, I think he turns eighteen on New Year's Eve, and then is joining in the January window. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, how much of an impact do you think he could potentially have? Is that again a sort of signing where we're bringing him in? We want this like promising American, and we'll see what happens over the next six to 18 months or do you think he's coming in maybe like training with that first team right away could potentially get minutes before the season's over yeah so Gladbach is another side that will have a lot of games right in the Champions League as well and 
anyone who doesn't quite understand why the season is so compact, just take a look at the schedule. There's basically games every single day from now till Christmas. Right? Did they make the Champions so, League? I thought they missed it. Yeah, they made the Champions League. Okay. They finished uh, in the top four. So they're a Champions League side. And um, yeah, they will have a lot of games. They will have a lot of games. And um, yeah, that's that's so that's another one where I, I think uh, with the amount of minutes that they're going to play, if you come in as a young player, that's always a good thing mm-hmm. because that means injuries, rotation, you will get your minutes. And if you're a young player coming into this league, even if you in your first year only look at Davies, Davies in his first year got maybe five or six games, right? And now he's the world's best left back. So you can do a lot with a few minutes in your first half season. And, and I think sometimes it's actually beneficial to come in it in the winter time and just play a few games and, you know, like mm-hmm. learn sort of the, there's no pressure on you if you're a young winter signing because like it kind of gets forgotten and, 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 and tumultuous things that are going on in the middle of a season. And then you have the full summer to prepare, but you were already at the club. So you're it's not a new thing for you anymore. You already know the system and, um, yeah, I think players like that always always benefit a little bit. Young players. Mm-hmm. You know, we started with Davis. He benefited a lot from coming over in January, playing a few games here and there. The expectations were kind of low. Played for the second team in the Regionalliga and then just exploded on the scene, right? And I think that's um, I think that really helps young players, especially if they make a big jump. You know, it's still a big jump from going from MLS to to the Bundesliga or any European league. Um, and then according to the website uh, Transfermarkt, I don't know if you've heard of them. I think you might have. Uh, it They're looks quite like, good. Yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> uh, they have, I think the it's them and Stuttgart, I think, have the largest squad size in the Bundesliga. So you would expect a decent amount of rotation with Gladbach, given that's the, mm. the strength of schedule, given the squad size. Herza, by contrast, uh, are closer to Bayern Munich, I'd say. Bayern Munich only have 25 players in their senior squad. It looks like uh, Herta only have 26. Whenever there's a team that has such a potential for variation, as you said, could be top six, mm. could be fighting relegation, it then begs the question, why? W- what is the sort of variable there? What could make them very good, but what could potentially make them very bad? It's the it's the amount of signings that they have made. Um, I mean, they're playing with Playmobil money, right? <laughs> because of the the, the, the investor. Um, they're one of those few teams in Europe, really, that are absolutely almost unaffected by um, the reality of COVID because of of this investor of the money that's come into the club. Um, and that's always when. When, when you have a lot of money and you're kind of putting together, they're basically building a squad, right? They're, they're still putting put together all the pieces. And that we've seen that in the, the, the early years of Manchester City. It didn't all, didn't go well from the very beginning. It took time, right? Um, and that's sort of what I'm seeing here a little bit. The match in the German Cup where they lost 5-4 in regular time to Eintracht Braunschweig is a, is a bit of a warning sign. For some, but then on the other hand, I also think, okay, well, how many times have we seen bigger sides getting crashed out in the cup? Um, it happens, especially early on in the season, right? But it's the you, you could sort of sense there that um, the mechanisms aren't quite there yet, a hundred percent, right? The, the names are there. There's some really good signings in this team. Um, they added John Cordoba now from Cologne as well. Uh, Tuzad is, is a midfielder who designed from Lyon for a lot of money that a lot of teams in, around Europe wanted. Um, 
they signed Alexander Schwalop, a new goalkeeper from Freiburg, another another player that a lot of teams around Europe wanted. Uh, they already have Dodi Luki Baku in the squad. Um, they have Christoph Piotek. You know, remember him when he was amazing in the Serie A. And yeah. They still have him. There's a lot of very good pieces. Um, and I think in Bruno Labbadia, they also have a very good coach. But you still have to fit all of that together. And they're only they're only starting. It's kind of like an assemblance still of players, right? They're still kind of putting all these loose pieces together. And that can take time and it can go quickly in the Bundesliga. You lose five, six games to start the season and you're in trouble, right? Remember, the German league has two teams less than all the other leagues. So you, you can't really have a slow start. A slow start can really ruin things for you in the Bundesliga. And, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and they're one of those teams where I, can, where I could see that happen. Final interruption from me to say here is the other half of allocation disorder, Mr. Paul Tenorio. Hi. This is Paul Tenorio from The Athletic. When I buy dress shirts off the rack, I tend to end up with shirts that drape off my broader shoulders and look boxy on me. Just the other day on vacation, we took a family photo, and the shirt I wore just looked way too big and wide. It was amazing how much better the photo looked when I switched into my new Indochino shirt. My wife and I had taken my measurements at home on Indochino.com and sent them in. And my new shirt emphasizes my shoulders, but cuts in so much better across my chest and stomach. I looked and felt way more confident and stylish. With Indochino, you can get custom-fitted suits, coats, shirts, and casual wear at surprisingly affordable prices. And you can customize everything from the fabric to the lining and the lapel shape, even add a monogram. The best part, Indochino's suits start at just $299 with all customizations included. And it's super easy to order and get it shipped fast, no matter where you live. So go visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America, or do what I did. Book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $399 or more when you enter code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code ATHLETIC. So, so far we've talked about like some of the bigger teams in the league, uh, of the teams that maybe we haven't yet gotten to. And then I do want to get to a couple individual players as well. Um, who are you excited to keep an eye on again for whatever reason? It could be because you think they'll play very exciting soccer. It could be because you think they'll be a train wreck. It might be because they've brought in a bunch of players and you're not quite sure what to expect. But of the other teams, uh, maybe not the newly promoted ones, but the other sort of more established Bundesliga teams, who would you advise people to keep an eye on? Yeah, I think uh, Werder Bremen is going to be interesting to see after avoiding relegation really at the death um, last year and Florian Kofeld, a coach that I've criticized quite a bit. And I still kind of a little bit mm, see if he, if he can pull this around fully. I think this is a team to keep an eye on. I think there is some interesting stuff going on there and it would be interesting to see if they can sort of manage the full turnaround, right? Um, and and make a step towards being a big club again. Because they used to be a big club in German football. They think about 10 times in a row in the early 2000s, won the champion, won the, won the league title, right? This, this used to be a big club. They used to be Bayern Munich's number one challenger. And um, I think they are one where I say like, well, let's see if they can, if the scare was enough to turn things around or if they're going to be the next Hamburg where every year they're playing with fire and relegation. And um, 
the another club that actually falls into exactly the same category is Schalke. Uh, I know we like to talk about Schalke a lot, but I can see Schalke become the next Hamburg in terms of them being just in perpetual crisis mode. And that can really hurt a club in the long term, right? If you're just in crisis mode all the time. Yeah. So um, I, I'm really curious to see if they can maybe break that cycle, even if it's just by adding young players, playing a more refreshing style of football, um, especially if you have one of the most exciting head coaches in German football. And don't forget that you have David Wagner, a coach that was, uh, could have chosen any club in Germany um, and chose Schalke and really had some tough times last year. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to turn those things around. Um, maybe as a positive example, I'm really, really curious to see what Hoffenheim is going to do because this was a club that kind of flew underneath the radar for me last year and then all of a sudden was in the Europa League. Mm -hmm. um, and they, um, they, they signed a really interesting head coach in uh, Hoeneß, um, the Sebastian Hoeneß, the, the, the nephew of uh, Uli Hoeneß. Yeah, the I was about to say, they got Uli yeah. Hoeneß? That's, that's a yeah, cool. That, so we got a Hoeneß back in the Bundesliga, which is, I think is actually kind of fun. And um, he's done some some very good work with Bayern Munich's second side last year. And Bayern Munich's second side won the third division, right? And um, it's going to, Hoffenheim being in the Europa League can have some really interesting players and names in that side. We kind of almost forgot forget about them. You know, someone like Munas Dabur or Andre Kramaric or Ilas Bebu. Those are, those are um, a lot of teams around Europe wanted and um, couldn't get and they ended up in Hoffenheim and yeah I think this is a team that's kind of sort of flying under the radar but could do some really exciting things this year all right. I look forward to keeping an eye on Hoffenheim. I certainly look forward to keeping an eye on Werder Bremen because of Josh Sargent. Uh, we didn't mention yeah, Tyler and... Adams when we talked Leipzig, which I'm sure is making some of our listeners very frustrated. So one other thing I wanted to ask when it comes to individual players, if you're looking at, say, Tyler Adams, John Brooks, and Josh Sargent, who of those three do you think are is like in the best position to have a, a solid season, get a lot of minutes, have some success? And maybe who do you think is in the most vulnerable position? My assumption is that that ranking would be Tyler Adams, Josh Sargent, and then John Brooks. Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, I think Josh Sargent is going to feature a lot this year. They, there's a lot of positive things, words said about him in Bremen this year. And uh, Kofeld has said that he's going to get a lot of minutes, right? And that that's good news because is I, he gonna I get think, a lot of service though? Because <laughs> that's where my concern is. Yeah, I, yeah. I you know he was one of those players where I almost thought maybe Werder Bremen going down and him playing in the second division for a year might not be a bad thing because sometimes you start up with John Cordoba. He went down for a year, couldn't you know had a really tough year in the Bundesliga. Went down, scored I think twenty seven goals down there. Came up and then did really well in the Bundesliga. Sometimes it's taking a step back is is something beneficial, right? Um, I think it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, a lot of whether Bremen are going to do well or not will depend on Josh Sargent because you're quite right. Um, will he get the service? Will he score the goals? Will he be if you're that number one, number nine striker, it's a lot of pressure on you. And it looks like that's his role this year. He's going to be the number one number, number one striker up front. Um, so, yeah, a lot of... And it's. I think, he personally, he's going to handle it. I, I always thought very highly of him. I think he's a, he has all the tools. Um, he's been favorably compared to Miroslav Klose, right? And I think he's going to be... This is his make-or-break year. Okay. It's going to be a very big fear for him. And it's kind of analog to what's going on in Bremen in general. Adams, 
they Nagelsmann has said he's my quarterback this this week. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that says it all. <laughs> he's he's made it in Leipzig. Yeah, he rotates in and out of that side, but everyone there does. That's just the way they play. So. You see every time, and it's kind of funny following American soccer Twitter, um, kind of as a Canadian German, because I feel like I'm kind of involved, but I'm not, because like whenever I see something negative, I'm like, that's an American thing, whatever. Um, when I see something positive, I'm like, yeah, North America, here we go, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like a nice position to be in. I feel like I'm the, the I'm in the Switzerland of North America in that regard, nice and neutral. But I, you know that I like Tyler Adams a lot. I've spoken to Tyler Adams quite a bit, and I, I think he's a fabulous player. And um, whenever I see people being distraught, he's like, oh, he's not playing enough in Leipzig. I'm like, no one is playing consistently in Leipzig. Mm-hmm. That's how Nagelsmann works. He rotates players all the time. He probably gets up in the morning and doesn't know who starts, right? Um, it's just... Yeah, I wouldn't pay too much attention to that. Tyler Adams has made it in the squad. He yeah. is a fundamental part of this team. Um, when he's fit, he plays. And um, when he's not 100% fit, someone else plays. Because guess what? Leipzig have that depth. They can afford to rotate players who are not 100% fit. I mean, squad size is 29 players. They're probably the best equipped to handle the, the, the load that's coming up, right? So, yeah, I, I think Tyler Adams is, is going to play a, a lot this year and he's going to feature very prominently and i mean he's already done so much that that goal right i mean have we praised that enough yet probably uh, should. His, his uh his goal in the champions league yeah i mean come you, on. you're welcome you can his... continue to praise that i will i will take that uh, all day even if i'm still not entirely convinced that it wasn't an own goal which made people very uh, upset was, with me uh, no. he, he they're totally going to target <laughs> <laughs> Sure, 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 sure. Uh, but you're right. No, that that should be in my head more than it is that he has already been a, a key performer for them. So we would expect that to continue. What about John Brooks, who I believe I saw had lost some of his valuation? I don't know if that's because he's mm-hmm. a year older or because Wolfsburg maybe aren't going to be as strong, some combination thereof or something else entirely. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Brooks is such a funny one. He flies so much under the radar, and you're right, his evaluation has gone down. Uh, he just doesn't start in every single game. I actually have to, have to check. I mean, they just they just beat uh, someone in the Europa League because remember that tournament is actually on. If he played I today, I forgot that. Yeah. Yes, and they they beat uh, Kukesi from Albania four nil, and he, he there you go. He didn't play right. Um, that already says says it quite a bit. He wasn't even in the in the squad. I I don't know what exactly is going on with Brooks, but it's an interesting one because they also signed uh, Maxence Lacroix from uh, Suchot, um this this summer. Um, another centre back who they rate very very highly. And uh, then in Marin Pankacic, they have another centre back um, who's currently injured, but they also rate really really highly. And uh, that's already two players were ahead of him in the pecking order, right? And I remember running a story story earlier in the summer saying that they're sort of looking to maybe sell Brooks and make some money on him. Um, whether that is still the case, it's hard to say because it's hard to sell players that don't play consistently, right? Mm-hmm. And that's certainly the case with him. And I think for him, this is going to be a very, very big year as well because he's now 27 and... At that age, it's either going to go to, okay, well, I'm going to go have a great year at Wolfsburg, and then that's 
maybe make a step up or I'm going to have an okay year at Wolfsburg and I'm going to maybe get sold to the Premier League, but it's not going to be a top 10 side. It's going to be someone like, without offending anyone, but someone like Watford or, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. one of those Premier League sites that have lots of money, but are not very good. Um, sorry to any Watford listeners out there. I mean, there, they're not even in the Premier League anymore, I mean. so I don't think they'll be too upset Yeah, okay, you. perfect. But you know what I mean? Like one yeah. of those teams that um, that always spend a ton of money every every window but just a kind of garbage anyways um so that that would be like a classic move for him if this doesn't work out this year for him uh, in Wolfsburg so my hope would be that maybe it's just that they've got games this weekend so he doesn't play in Europa League so he starts this weekend if he doesn't play this weekend I think we have a better indication of where he is in the estimations but this does then lead us to the conversation about valuation in general. Uh, I mentioned earlier his valuation had dropped a little bit. I wanted to start off by asking, how do you all determine what a player's value is? I'm assuming there's a lot of different factors. Some of it probably, yeah. uh, you, you can't, it's classified. You can't give that information. <laughs> but generally speaking, how do you land at the value that you do? So generally speaking, and this is very, very important because I get this question all the time. So I'm so glad you finally, someone I finally asked me on a podcast <laughs> where I can say this. Don't think of a player being worth an amount because the club could sell him for that money. So a great example, because this is this has been a hot topic all day yesterday and today, is Alfonso Davies, mm-hmm. who's now worth 80 million euros. Now, Bayern will not sell Alfonso Davies for 80 million euros. That's just not going to happen. The point is rather that if Bayern would want to buy a player like Alfonso Davies with that kind of skill set, that age, um, the success that he had, the um, you know that whole package, mm-hmm. then they would have to spend 80 million euros to get a player like him, right? Ah, so okay. walk away from the evaluation of the player, but rather the evaluation of the skill set. And what it takes to add a player like that, right? Because I get this, like Bayern will never sell him. Why have you? Why does he have this evaluation? I mean, that's not the point. <laughs> that's not mm-hmm. the point. This is how much it will cost Bayern if they decided to buy him today for that for that price, right? Or if any other team in the world would look for an Alfonso Davies-like player, they they would have to spend that kind of money. Now, to give you a good example, if you go to our page, and I, th- I think this is better viewable on, on the desktop, you usually get a function with a lot of players um, where we say this player is similar to these sort of players, right? Usually shows up on the, the bottom right of, of the player profile. So that gives you sort of the idea, okay, this is the kind of player that he is, and then the algorithm will spit out other players that will fall into that same category. That is the idea of an evaluation of a player, Right. And that's why so many clubs use us as as a source mm. or as as one of the many ways to scout players is they find they go to transfer market they say okay we need a player like him who's out there that sort of falls into the same category and there's a lot of things that play into it I mean we we work together with a bunch of data companies that also feed us with a ton of data um, one of them is for example is Opta right and they sort of give this whole picture. Now, that is where the value comes from. And I think this is the number one thing that people need to understand about the market evaluation. It's not what a player, what a club would sell a player for, but it's the what a player would be worth on an open market. And then does that, like, like 
our, I'm assuming league factors into that a little bit because let's stick with Alfonso yes. Davies for a moment. Like it would cost Bayern Munich 80 million to replace him right now. If Alfonso Davies is playing for Manchester City, I feel like there is that Premier League tax of they know you've got more money. Mm-hmm. They're always going to charge you a little bit more. So would his valuation automatically increase because he's playing for Man City instead of Bayern Munich? Yes and no. But yeah, generally speaking, <laughs> Premier League players are worth more than Bundesliga players, not because they're better, because in, because of the environment that they're playing, right? Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is an example. Player that's a year or two um, ahead of Davies' development, he is worth more because um, he's English, right? Jaden Sancho is worth a hundred and top of my head, I think 120 million or 110 I think, million. I think, I think you think had about 117 million euros. 117, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's English, right? Um, an equivalent player would probably an equivalent German player probably would be worth a little less um, for various reasons. German players usually do don't 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 go for that much money. Um, and they're usually it also don't, um, you know, because there's more of them. This is another fact. There's more good German players than English players. And some English listeners will say, oh, but we have like the golden generation. Like that's true. But by the grand scheme of things, there is still a bigger talent pool in Germany. Right. So that's that's a big factor. Um, English teams have a smaller player pool to fill their roster with English players. And they have to, right? There's there's a bunch of UEFA regulations that make that. And that drives up the evaluation. Harry Kane is not necessarily a better Robert Lewandowski at the same age. Yet Harry Kane is worth more. He plays in the Premier League and he's English, right? We all know that Lewandowski is the better striker. No offense to Harry Kane fans, but that's just how it is, right? So that, that those are all things that fall into into our evaluation. It's not based all on skill. It's mm-hmm. also based on the market. What about age? How big of a factor is age? Yeah, age is a big factor. Hundred percent, of course. I mean, if you buy a ten-year-old car, that's always going to be worth less than a new car, right? Um, right, because you know that you're only going to get a certain amount of time out of of a car. It's very seldom that uh, a player in the thirties. And we had this case this week, right, with Robert Lewandowski. He actually increased his market value. He's now worth the same amount of money than uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. is 60 million euros. And that's very seldom. You have to have an extraordinary skill set. And we still believe that even for a 32-year-old striker of Lewandowski's cap- capabilities, you have to pay 60 million euros. And we've been proven right with Cristiano Ronaldo. We had Cristiano Ronaldo at 100 million euros when he moved for 100 million euros to Juventus, even though he was already in his mid-30s, mm-hmm. right? And with if any club, and I mean, what Lewandowski did this year was in the kind of category that Messi and Ronaldo are in, right? Even though he's 32. But it doesn't matter because that skill set is, for clubs, that guarantees you titles. And so, yeah, even for a 32-year-old striker of that kind of capability, you will have to pay... 60 million. If Lewandowski was 27, 26, oh, that price tag would be a lot higher. Uh, I mean, that, and then we're talking yeah. 150, 160 million euros, right? It'd be impossible to get him. 
So that anticipates my next question, which was, like, what is the, as you understand it, what is the sort of age range at which it goes from valuation increasing to valuation decreasing? Like, I'm assuming it's around 28 still, or has it dropped? Because I feel like it was 2014, we would always say, like, oh, yeah, your prime is 27 to 28 years old. Now I feel like we have so many 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds starting that I don't know if that uh, number has changed at all. I think it really depends on the individual, but I would say around 30 is where you see that, you know, we yeah. really, you really know that to go back to the car analogy, you may be driving that car for another three to four years, right? Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, you maybe get another, you know, if you're lucky and you're Lewandowski, you can probably play until your 40s or if you're Ronaldo, you can play into your 40s. But you start to ask those questions, like when are, when are the paths going to break down, right? That unfortunately is a factor. I mean, we're both from our thirties, right, Tyler? Mm-hmm. We know things break down. Yeah, I'm, I'm past my prime. <laughs> it seems it's a little sad, but I'll take it. <laughs> so it's that that's just the reality, unfortunately. And um, we all would love to see these players to play longer, but yeah, I think I think around thirty is that mark. But sometimes it happens earlier. I mean, we talked about Brooks; his value is going down, and he's twenty-seven because. We sort of had this anticipation, good defender, good defender, good defender, market value going up, 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 stagnate, stagnate, stagnate. Now we see, okay, well, this this is not going anywhere. So he's hitting 27, 28, and the, 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 there's no market really for him, right? So it's starting to drop. So, yeah, that's yeah. – it, it really depends on, on the player, but they, I would say late 20s, early 30s is usually when it happens. And then what about somebody like Luca Hernandez for Bayern Munich, who what, joins them for mm-hmm. 80 million euros thereabouts, and I think now is valued around 45 million. Some of yeah. that, I'm assuming, is coronavirus related. Some of that is lack of playing time. I don't know how much of that is him, like, like skill set related or not fitting in with Hansi Flick or whatever it might be. But for a player like that, what explains that drop off? Yeah, I mean, for Lucas Hernandez, it's it's definitely when when Bayern bought him, his evaluation was 70 million euros. They paid 80 million euros, so we were only about 10 million euros off, which is actually not much. Um, but since then, uh, you know, he hasn't really justified that price. Mm-hmm. He's been a bench player. First, he lost 20% because of COVID, lots of injuries, and when he's fit, he's now playing. You know, he's David Alaba, who used to be a left back, is now playing in his position. Um, and the position, the other position that he plays left back is now occupied by Alfonso Davies. And I don't think anyone in the world will currently take Lucas Hernandez over Alfonso Davies or David Alaba, right? Yeah, probably not. So, probably not. And um, yeah, I think for Bayern, Bayern gets a lot of praise for uh, spending very little money on Alfonso Davies and uh, turning him into this player who's one of a kind now but we also have to remember every once in a while they get things wrong and then uh, unfortunately they have gotten it very wrong with Lucas Hernandez so final question because you've been very generous with your time I don't want to take up too much more of it but I, I did find myself really wondering if there were any a specific transfer or a couple transfers that you thought represented the best value of oh he should have gone for this or it should have been this much to replace that player but they got this player in at a bargain and vice versa vice versa are there ones that made you sort of scratch your head for the opposite reason of that player should not have gone for that amount of money oh that's a very good question um, i'm going to assume it was somebody like- being sold to the premier league went for too much money yeah i, I get that 
I, I mean, I look at a lot of the Premier League transfers and I scratch my head. <laughs> um, this every once in a while, I mean, I, I see something where I scratch my head and I'm completely wrong. Uh, for example, I think they paid 40 million euros for him. And I thought, okay, well, what are you doing with him? And uh, I'm sorry, but I was wrong. <laughs> they got that bang on. Um, I mean, he's worth a lot more now, right? So, yeah, I mean, Lucas Hernandez was one where I thought, okay, well, that, he's going to really make a difference. But then uh, it turns out wrong as well, right? Um, a transfer where I thought they got it bang on. It's a really difficult question. Yeah, I, know, I kind of sprung it's this one on you, and I know it's a very specific one. But I, I assume yeah, that there's probably I mean, one that is like, oh, it should have cost this much to replace, or oh, that player should yeah. have cost 30 but went for 10 or something like that. I definitely have many moments like that mm-hmm. uh, where I think, okay, well, this is this is this is um, where I think this is a good deal and this is yeah. a bad deal, and I usually right away get a very good sense of because of the figures spent, and I usually tend to be um, without <laughs> you know without giving myself too much praise. I usually tend to be right. I, I get you get a really good sense because you've seen these figures all day long, right? You just see it all the time. Uh, it's not because like I know more. It's just because. That's literally what I work with all day long. You really get a good sense on seeing, okay, well, this is a transfer that makes sense. And you're like, well, why are they paying this much money? This makes no sense. I mean, one that I'm thinking about right now that could potentially go horribly wrong is this whole Gareth Bale story. Ah. Um, I, I see those numbers and I'm seeing a 32-year-old winger who is adored back in in London for good reasons. But I can't see him offer very much. I know that Tottenham are probably going to, but I, I just, you know, I can't really see, I can't really see the the, the benefit there. Um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, Bayern in general are very good at this sort of thing. They're they're really good at like getting players. So I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is this is a good deal. I think too that, um, for example, another good example is this whole Alexander Solot story. With Leipzig, um, where they are paying, if they pay 20 million euros, they're paying exactly market value for him, and I think that's that's a that's a very good and fair price if it turns out to be that that sort of evaluation, right? So it, it really, I mean, I have these moments all the time, Tyler at work, <laughs> where, I'm, where I'm seeing something, I'm like, this is not good, this is good, um, and, and sometimes we have these chats um, at work too. I mean, we have a work chat where we're just like saying, what are they doing? Yeah. You know? Like, um, what are Schalke doing, for example, with the McKennie? I, I think for Juventus, move. Um, and for Schalke, they're losing potentially a player that maybe if it wasn't COVID, they could have gotten a lot more money for it, right? Yeah. So, so those are the kind of moments that almost a part of everyday life when you work for Transfermarkt. <laughs> well, I look forward to you continuing to work for Transfermarkt. I look forward to continuing you to have you on the show to talk Bundesliga and talk all things transfer. Uh, but from now, Manuel, I will uh, return you to the relative, relative tranquility of Canada. I appreciate you taking all the time to uh, to make sense of the Bundesliga and of Transfermarkt valuations with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Tyler. 